ladies and gentlemen. A couple of days off from uh, being at the Honda Indy Toronto. My name is Rob Howden. Welcome to the Road to Indy Insider episode number 21. It is the breakdown uh, from the event at Toronto, the only stop of the Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires north of the border. Uh, quick little hour drive for me from my hometown here in Cambridge. Uh, but I'm always excited to get to Toronto. Just a great metropolis. Everybody loves being there. The downtown core, fantastic. The overall atmosphere of the event is always great. Uh, joining me as my uh, guest analyst my, and my guest for this edition of The Insider, Krista Hardy from motorsportstribune.com and also a contributor to IndyGuard.com, one of the uh, young journalists who continues to dedicate himself uh, to covering not only IndyCar, but also the road to Indy as well. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. You only had an hour drive, really? Yeah, right. I know. I know. Mm. Hey, listen, mid-Ohio is going to be six hours. Uh, Indy is usually, usually seven, but I know that you put a lot of, you guys put a lot of miles in coming to these races, don't you? Yeah. Uh, for me, Toronto is about a seven, eight hour drive. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Indy being how long for you? Well, it's only 45 minutes for me, but Toronto is always a fun place to be. It's got a fun – every single street race has a fun, funky vibe to it. Agreed. And, and yeah, Toronto has that. a great yeah. one to it. I love going there. It was my second time going, and uh, I can't wait to go back again. Yeah, me too. I'm uh, you know, always looking forward to that next that next race, the next time we get to go back. It's uh, it's not like it's that you – know, funny thing. People go, oh, it's so great, Rob. You're just you – know, you're going to a home race. I'm I'm an hour to get there, maybe even more. But if I try to get in on a Friday morning, I'd have to leave at like five in the morning because the traffic to get into Toronto is so crazy. So we do stay downtown. Uh, and again, especially with a, a Friday like we had where we started, I was on the mic at eight o'clock in the morning. And my last session was Indy Pro. I think it was Indy Pro 2000 qualifying one wrapped up at 630 or seven o'clock at night, something like that. So it was a long, long day. I know unbelievably long for you journalists as well, because you guys were in the media center. From 8 yeah. o'clock till, till probably 8 o'clock at night. Probably a 12-hour day out there. Well, the good thing for me, though, is that I didn't have to drive. My Airbnb was actually a 20, 25-minute walk away from the track. So I didn't well have done. to. So I just left my car in the media center parking lot on Thursday and never touched it. That's all. That's good. All right, folks. So this is the breakdown edition of the Road to Indy Insider. Again, my name is Rob Howden, joined by Krista Hardy. What we'll essentially do here in the breakdown is we'll start with Indy Lights, move to Indy Pro 2000, and wrap things up with the USF 2000 category. I'll do a quick synopsis of what happened in each race. After each race, Chris and I will then maybe talk about – well, actually, I'm going to say after each report, but you never know. We could jump in in the middle of the report as well. But we'll kind of break down a little bit what we saw, maybe some of the trends we saw, some cool action we saw. I know I'll mention my star of the race, uh, which I'm actually obviously getting out here on uh, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have had all my star of the race posted to my – uh, insider Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, I'll get Chris to, to, to think to maybe pop up who he thinks his star was, if he agrees with me or not. And then when we're done with each category, each series, we'll talk a little bit about how the championship is kind of forming up because we're past the halfway point of the season now for USF 2000. Just three more events, Mid-Ohio, Portland, and Laguna Seca. You throw Gateway in for both Indy Pro and Indy Light. So four for them before we get to Laguna Seca in, in late uh, September. So the championship, definitely something that we'll talk about. All right, Chris DeHardy, we ready to go? Yeah, so far, let's do it. <laughs> I know you got to go to work this afternoon, so I do appreciate you taking the time. All right, let's get started here with Indy Lights and the opening round, which took place on Saturday. Um, I kind of I want to say this was one of the more 
uh, uneventful, let's put it that way, uh, Indy Lakes races we've seen in a while because to the bottom line is uh, Aaron Tielitz coming back with Bellardi Auto Racing, of course, one of the great stories uh, that Aaron, after running Road America, coming back with Bellardi again for Toronto. Now, potentially, in the interview I did with Brian Bellardi, he's, I think, decided or is going to work hard to make sure Aaron's in the car for the remainder of the year to help out Lucas Cole. Uh, Aaron qualifies in the pole position. A fantastic job there. Leads from the pole. Really the only battles that we kind of saw on the racetrack were between Oliver Askew and Rena's VK. Uh, those two uh, longtime rivals uh, scrapping it out for that position. Oliver had second. Rena's was putting a lot of pressure on late in the race. Overall, though, pretty straightforward. Indy Lights race, pole sitter runs away. 2.9 seconds to victory for Aaron T. That's another win for Bellardi Auto Racing in Toronto, adding on to last year's victory with Santia Rutia. Uh, sweep of the weekend a couple of years ago with Felix Rosenquist. You go farther back to, I believe, Gabby Chavez and Alex Barron grabbing wins uh, a number of years ago, probably four or five years ago. Is it 14? 2014. I got the stat man with me. That's a good thing about having Chris on board. Um, Ryan Norman starts fourth, ends up fourth. Toby Sauer starts fifth, ends up fifth. Um, Chris, my star of the race for that particular race, I went with Aaron Tielitz. I don't always go with the winner. I like to look at maybe drivers that kind of move the way up to the pack. But this one, to me, star of the race was Aaron Tielitz. You come in, you drop the hammer, you qualify on pole, a dominant victory, uh, and a return, I think, to form uh, for Aaron Tielitz. You know, a lot. Of, we'll talk more about him potentially going to IndyCar next year, but all in all, just a really good performance by Aaron. I can't disagree with you on that one. Uh, you look at what he's done this year. I mean, he's driven for Aim Vasher Sullivan in the IMSA GT, well, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in the GTD class. He's driven their yeah. Lexus cars in the endurance races. He spent time in the uh, the Dale Quinn Racing Vasher Sullivan pit box at many IndyCar races, absorbing everything like a sponge. I talked to Brian Bellardi over at Road America, and he was very impressed with his mentality and how he's basically changed from last year, totally different person almost this year compared to last year. And um, I asked him at road America, if he did well, would he keep him in for the rest of the year? hundred percent. I'm looking forward to seeing Aaron in more races this year. And I think that this, um, instead of being a champ, of course, he's not running for the championship. He missed half yeah. the season. This is more of a tryout for next year and showing hey, IndyCar team owners. Uh, hey, I hope y'all don't forget my name. So good job for him. Interesting you say that because, you know, in talking to Felix Rosenquist uh, during our IndyCar radio broadcast, he said straight up that his performance, his double win performance in Toronto is what he believes kind of caught the eye of Chip Ganassi and Mike Hall. Uh, for Aaron to come out with Bellardi as he did, uh, it, for all intents and purposes, after we wrap up our, our you know, our race number two report, he could have won that one as well. Had not been for the over, kind of the over aggressive move, I think for uh, Renus VK, Aaron could have won both races just like uh, Felix did a couple of years ago. And I'll, I'll tell you this: when I got to Victory Lane to do my IndyCar radio uh, interview, the first guy coming over to congratulate Aaron, well, just before we did the interview, was Jimmy Vassar. That, which I think that speaks volumes. Absolutely, and um, well, Vassar, he he knows what Aaron's gone through. He's talked with Aaron, you know, all throughout the year. And, you know, Aaron's done a good job for his sports car program. So it's good to see that it really is. And hopefully if Vasher can get a couple, a little bit more money, uh, going Dale Coyne's way, maybe we can see that program expand. Although of course, this is just wishful thinking on my part. Well, Chris, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, drivers needing to be the complete package, right? You can't just get the job done on the racetrack, but you have to have the charisma and the sponsor ability 
outside the car as well. And I, I don't think anybody would ever challenge the fact that Aaron, one of the more charismatic guys, got a great personality, uh, very friendly, works very good with people. It's not like he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's very outgoing. He's not held back at all. And I think that's key. Not shy. Um, not shy at all. And then you look at his body of work, right? He was strong in USF 2000, never really ran for a, a top team like Kate, but, but did well. Moved to Team Pelfrey, of course, um, uh, in, in the, uh, what was then the Pro Mazda category. He goes head-to-head -head with his teammate Pato Award, who ends up winning all those, what, seven of, seven of eight races or six of seven races to start the season. And then Aaron turns things around at Road America and wins a championship. So here's a guy that's been challenged and can respond. And then really, uh, we, I think we probably would have expected that there was a possibility last year that he could have been a really dominant factor in any lights if it wasn't for that really rough start at St. Petersburg that kind of put him on the back foot. I think in the first two or no, in the first three races of the Indy Lights season last year, Aaron Teal's completed less than a mile and a half of racing. That really just set the tone for really his entire year. Uh, it was really, really rough for him. But, you know, one of the big things you have to do in this industry is learn from being challenged. And he learned a ton you know, about himself last year. And really it's showing through this year. Uh, I like, well, I like what I saw and I like what he, uh, I like what he did. He did a great job. So no complaints there. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's the storyline from race number one for Indy lights. Uh, Teal, it's of course uh, really getting the job done, shakes the rust off at road America. And it was really one of those mature runs. And, and, you know, Chris, we get a chance to see this. You've been doing this long enough now that you have that kind of body of, of time where you, I've watched like a young guy coming in at whether it's 16 or 17 or 18 or 19, because Aaron's a little older than most of the drivers in the, in the paddock. Um, you can see that their, their personal development as well. And I always ask guys, how much different are you now than you were last year at this time? And you, they'll always roll their eyes and they can't believe how much they've changed. Number one as a driver, but number two, as a, maybe, maybe as a, just a motorsports professional with an understanding of what happens. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see how much he's changed from last, especially when Brian says it to you, from last year to this year, with the experiences he had last year, his time now with a new program in the Aim Vassar Sullivan camp, and then coming back to Velarde and spending some time, as you said, with uh, Dale Coyne and Vassar Sullivan at the IndyCar races, it's just the way those opportunities shape a driver. I find that so intriguing. Well, if Aaron wasn't, wouldn't have been challenged over the last couple of years, he wouldn't have grown as much. So really, his struggles have ultimately led to what we see nowadays we see a much more polished driver we see a much more uh reserved driver I, I guess you could say um one that really takes into account the fact that you know every breaking zone every apex every turning point every you know coming off the corner point is another opportunity for him to maximize you know his lead in his position um but like i said without the challenges that he's had over the last couple of years we may see a completely different Aaron Tielitz and i guess those challenges have really led to us seeing a much better driver. You know, Chris, isn't it odd that that some of these drivers have to go through something that they would consider almost a career killer to 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 really develop as a, as a guy? Like you said that the challenge that he's gone through, the start of that season at St. Petersburg when he was so fast, made that minor mistake in qualifying and essentially destroyed a race car. The team stays up all night to rebuild and and, and essentially prep a Carlin car that they borrowed or let's say rent at least. Um, that you, if he would, if you would have told him that weekend, that may have been a turning point that would have turned him into an IndyCar driver, an IndyCar caliber driver and and person. I, I they don't understand. I don't think they would get that. I don't think they'd be able to comprehend or internalize that. But really, some of the hardest times you go through is what could make you 
a professional take you to the next level. Yeah, I think he would have definitely have told me, uh, you know, what he would have asked me what I was smoking if I would have told him, that, hey, this <laughs> this kind of weekend would have made what helps make you into an IndyCar driver, bud. Just yeah. uh, just you know, shape up. You got it. Okay, let's let's move into race number. Actually, let's wrap up race number one. As I said, Aaron Tiedlitz with the win. Oliver Askew and Arena VK, your two championship challengers, second and third. Uh, Ryan Norman ends up fourth, as I said, and Toby Sowery in fifth. Moving now to race number two, which took place on Sunday morning before the NTT IndyCar Series main event. Um, Oliver Askew qualifying on the pole, not quite the same speed as he had earlier for Aaron Tiedlitz. He ends up qualifying P3, but at the start, uh, great start for Tiedlitz. He goes to the inside of Askew. VK goes to the outside, so v- uh, Askew drops to third. Tiedlitz, VK out front. Going down to turn three, uh, you know, to uh, to take over the early lead, and then I guess I guess we'll go back. And then first, there's an issue with uh, with Norman. He has that miss in turn number three, falls to the tail of the field. We'll talk more about his climb back through. Uh, but then here's Tealis leading, VK's in front of Askew, and this was at, right now for sure, kind of a turning not so much a turning point, but a major effect on the championship battle. As as they were running on the racetrack with VK in front of Askew, he's going to tighten the points up almost to their point where they're almost tied. Ends up turning around. That uh, you can I'll get your thoughts on it too. Renus VK tried a couple times to get by Tealitz. Aaron makes a minor mistake in turn number eight, coming out of eight, gets a little wide. The car kind of breaks loose, a little exit uh, uh, exit oversteer coming out of the corner that allows VK to close up. There's his chance. Right, coming out to eight, right on the on the rear wing, going down to three, tries to move around the outside and tries to get to get it done. Can't get the car load up. He ends up in the tires, and again from he's going around the outside. And Tealis has got nowhere to go. He's on the brakes hard. He ends up touching the tires as well. Oliver Askew slides through uh, to take the lead and eventually the victory. Uh, for me, man, tough call. An, a, a rare unforced error for Renus VK. You know, when I saw that situation happen, my first thought was payback. And here's what I mean by that. And I don't mean, you know, something, anything that might have happened between Tealitz and um, VK, nothing like that. I'm talking about Oliver Askew with the Toronto Street Circuit. In 2017, at the second race in Toronto for USF 2000, Oliver was in third place behind David Malukas and um, uh, Alex Perrin. Yep, that, that was it. Yeah. Third place behind them, two leaders fighting hard. They hit and turn three. They spin. You and Anthony Martin both lose it completely in the broadcast booth. Um, <laughs> and Oliver, you know, hits. Uh, I forget who he hit, but he was he lost a lap or two in the accident. Fast forward two years later, Askew's in third place. Sees two guys fighting hard for the lead in Toronto. Says, "Uh oh, now's my chance." maybe have backed off a little bit, saw what happened and said, Toronto, thanks for paying me back for this time. That <laughs> A little karma. Yeah. That, that right there, I think, is the difference in Oliver Askew 2017 to Oliver Askew 2019, is that he's got a lot more you know, racecraft experience nowadays. And I think that that's the key difference, the thing we need to take away from this incident. Not necessarily about what happened with, you know, oh, VK is trying to win a championship and, run in the soul, you know, the, his soul red, you know, goes Mazda Indy light, Indy aisle 15 or T was trying to get any lights, right? No, the big takeaway here was Askew's performance and realizing, Hey, let them fight. I'll just come through and take the spoils in the end. 
that's what we need to take a look at here, in my opinion. Yeah, interesting you say that because you know he was running there in third, you know, just taking his time, not using the push to pass at all, just kind of hanging out and really watching this battle in front of him every time. There was one opportunity where VK again tried to go the outside, and I think he tried to turn in a little bit before Aaron had even bothered the turn in. Obviously, Aaron was waiting a little bit on the turn in. They're side by side. It's up to Aaron to go to the apex when he wants to. And VK kind of made the move in, the turn into the right, to turn three at the end of the straightaway, and had to back out of it because Aaron hadn't turned in yet. So there was some argy-bargy happening already up there. And it's and listen, one of the calling cards of Renus VK for his two years in the program, one in USF 2000, and of course his title winning year last year in Indy Pro, has been his consistency. He's just not made those mistakes. He hasn't made those unforced errors really until now. And that's when, when it happened, I was just, I was really uh, taken aback watching it from pit lane, of course, up on the boards, because I was working on pit lane for IndyCar radio. It was, I, I was, I was just so genuinely, genuinely shocked that he would make an error like that, knowing he was already going to gain some points. Aaron T that's out of the, out of, you know, not in the championship hunt, as you said, didn't run the first half of the year. So man, I just, it just caught me off guard. Did, did it shock you as much as it shocked me? Yeah. Uh, Renus, he won the championship last year, you know, a on outright pace, but B because, you know, other people made a lot, a lot of mistakes and he's just not one to, to make those kind of mistakes. So it was yeah. a bit shocking, but you know, the road dandy is about learning. It's about making, becoming a better driver. And I think Renus is going to become a lot more of a, a better driver in the second half as we go to the second half of the year. I mean, he's already a great driver as we, as, as it is nowadays, but I think this is kind of a wake up call saying, Hey, you know, with the car count that we have in any lights right now, mistakes are punished, you know, double or triple because you can't, you, you although you can't lose as many points, you are not going to gain as many in case other people make mistakes and you can't depend on other people to make mistakes. It's just not going to happen. If you just, if you, if that's your way you're going to win a championship, it's not going to happen. So here's an interesting comparison and that you say that, that this is kind of the place you're supposed to make mistakes. Go back to last year in 2018, Andy lights, and it was Colton Herta. Remember, it's 217. He made made a number of mistakes, overdriving while running in second, got into the wall yeah. in a couple areas. Last year in qualifying, he's already on the pole for Indy Lights at Toronto, and on the, I think it was the final lap of qualifying, trying to go a little bit quicker, ends up overshooting turn eight. Of course, the timing line just out of turn number eight because you turn into pit lane before you get to turn nine, so you're able to come across the stripe before you go to pit lane. He makes a mistake, gets into the wall, and actually hurts his wrist, which of course then affects him for the remainder of the weekend. In fact, I think it affected him. I think he was still in a cast or was still probably hurting him at Mid-Ohio a couple of weeks later. So there's the mistake that Colton Herta makes. And he, he learned from 17 to 18, made less mistakes in 18, but still made a couple. Here's your, here's the, the mistake for Renus VK. And I guarantee you the coaches, the team will sit him down and go, look, that was a mistake. You got, you learn from it. Let's not, you know, you always have to learn, not do it again. So look, It'll be interesting to see whether or not Renus takes this and says, wow, you know what? That's something I needed to think. I need to think a little more clearly before making an overzealous move like that into turn number three. Agreed. And uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and bring this up. Uh, you know, one Yunko's, one Yunko's uh, loss was another Yunko's gain. Who gets into third place uh, near the end of the race? <laughs> well, good, good point. Some, uh, some Canadian yeah. guy. Dalton Keller. Great job for Dalton to so, keep, to keep yeah, everything going there. So let's with that perfect perfect segue, uh, Chris. Let's let's wrap things up then. Of course, as I said, Ryan Norman 
uh, ends up having some trouble on turn number three. I, don't, I can't remember if he was going in by himself. Was he going in by himself or was he trying to get around Lucas Cole? Um, I don't remember that one, actually. I have a feeling I think he was trying to get around the outside of Lucas Cole um, because he, he did start uh, further to the tail of the field. Started eighth, fell back to ninth, and was working his way back forward. Anyways, he has trouble, gets the thing backed up, gets going again, and then just goes on a tear. Runs down Cole, gets by Cole. Runs down McGinnis and gets by McGinnis. Uh, Ryan Norman into P4 at that point after the issue with uh, VK and Tealitz. He's chasing down Dalton Kell hardcore at the end. Wasn't able to get the job done because, as you said, Dalton Kellett uh, really did a great job. He's kind of a top five runner for a majority of the weekend on speed. Had trouble in race one with his pit lane speed limiter coming on early. Able to get that fixed. He goes back out. But in the end, Oliver Askew gets the win by 6.8 seconds. A big one for him. You mentioned in detail already how karma kind of paying him back for the issue he had in 2017. Toby Sowery ends up finishing second. And before we talk about Kellett, uh, and then we wrap things up uh, here, uh, Chris, one of the things I thought was a great story on all weekend, and I, I touched on it a lot in our IndyCar radio broadcast, was the fact that BN Racing comes into the event with absolutely, essentially no data. Now, granted, they had hired uh, Jeff Fickling. He's with them now, former engineer for Carlin Racing uh, when they came into the program. So he does have a lot of knowledge. But unlike Bellardi Auto Racing, who has wins in the new Delorial 15, you know, with with Rosenquist, with Rutia, they got a great platform coming in, as we know, roll the thing off the trailer, and uh, and Aaron Tealett's able to, you know, qualify on pole and win race one. BN comes in with a relatively clean sheet of paper. They got a, a rookie driver in in David Malukas, a rookie in Toronto, but a very talented driver in Toby Sowery. They kept getting faster and faster, I thought, throughout the weekend. Toby ends up qualifying fifth and then rolls because of the issue to a second-place finish. I thought it was really impressive for BN. And now when they come back next year with David Malukas, they're going to have some pretty solid data. We could see him racing for potentially the win or the podium. I'm looking forward to seeing what David's going to do. Uh, he was fast here in USF 2000. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do as he gains more experience. He's he's shown that he's quick, but, I mean, I, I hesitate to – one of the things that concerns me about him, though, is that I'm worried about him jumping up the ladder too quickly. But I think with another year or two in Indy Lights, he might be like Kyle Kaiser, where he's his consistency grows, he matures as a driver, and we'll see him fighting more and more for a championship as we get to year two or three in his Indy Lights program. I'm looking forward to seeing him run more. I think it's a, f- a fantastic point in comparison to Kyle Kaiser because those of you who don't know, if you haven't followed the whole road to Indy for the last number of years, um, David Malukas only ran a partial season in USF 2017. Didn't run the whole 2017. Didn't run the whole year. Last year, of course, jumping straight to the Indy Pro 2000 category, brand new team again, and didn't have a teammate for the entire year as well. I don't think he ran the entire season either. I think he skipped a couple of races, and then he jumps to Indy Lights. And you're right, they've been fast tracking him to Indy Lights. I would love to see them do exactly what you just said. Do the three-year Kyle Kaiser program. He would easily be a championship challenger in 2021 if he were to stay after next year now granted if he does well next year we've already seen the tendency yeah the urge to push him forward uh but i would love to see him stay three years really work on that racecraft and david malukas is definitely going to be a kid to watch here's here's a kid that came out of a a north american karting as a as a a true national champion when you hear about karting everybody says they're a national champion this guy won National championships went to Europe and actually won the IAMI International Final as well over 
uh, an international field of 60 plus won that race over in Le Mans, France. So this guy's got skills. There's no doubt. He just needs the time in the car and the car and the racecraft now. So, all right. So cap, cap this one off. Ask you wins race two takes a 25 point lead. We'll talk more about the championship in a second. Uh, Toby Sowery second, Dalton Kellett, as you said, tremendous run to third, you know, this, the fans, the crowd goes wild. Excellent run for Dalton. Thrilled to, to see him on the podium. And for me, my star of the race, Dalton Kellett, because able, able to perform um, in front of the hometown fans, all the crowd, the pressure that comes with it, especially ha- he didn't have a great Toronto last year. He had actually a pretty dismal Toronto. Just didn't have the speed at all. This weekend, speed, I think, kind of top five speed all weekend long. You know, qualified fourth for race number two, ends up with a P3 uh, run. My star of the race in race two. I'm going to say Oliver ask you on this one, and it's not because of the whole winning thing, but it's really because of, you know, him learning from 2017 and applying what he learned then to what happened with um, Renus and Aaron. That's that's why I'm going to say Oliver is my star of the race for race number two, because the road to Indy is about learning. It's about fixing what went wrong, and really Oliver did that when he saw uh, Aaron and Renus there in race two start to dice it up. I can respect that for sure. Uh, 25-point lead for Oliver Askew over Renus VK, these two rivals that have been going head-to-head uh, since USF 2000. Did it last year as well in Indy Pro 2000. 285 points for Oliver and 260 for Renus, of course. 31 points in uh, in race number two for Oliver. Just 12 points, lowest point total of the year for Renus VK. Uh, he'll have to climb, think our claw things back, but still lots of races to come. Seven more races still to go for Indy Lights. Ryan Norman, definitely not out of the hunt as well. He's 63 points back. Robert McGinnis in fourth and Toby Sowery in fifth. All right, Krista Hardy from motorsportstribune.com. Uh, we are done with uh, Indy Lights. Let's jump into the Indy Pro 2000 category. Again, all three of the Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tire Series on the docket at the Honda Indy Toronto. Uh, let's start with the opening race, and all let's let's preface it with this: Kyle Kirkwood coming off a double win weekend at Road America, momentum, confidence. I use those words all the time, maybe almost too much, but they really are the words you need to use in the Road to Indy. Comes in with all this momentum, belief in his team, RP Motorsports USA. They're believing in their driver, driver believing in the engineers. They're rocking. Qualifies on pole for both races. So the moment, like the confidence, just at an all-time high for Kyle Kirkwood. At the start, however, Daniel Frost from Exclusive Autosport jumps from P3, as we see often, Chris, at Toronto. The guy starting in third can get a pretty good run down the straightaway from the start because it's not you don't you don't really come onto the front straightaway to the green with a lot of speed because that nine ten eleven complex you got to be smart through there. Normally they come off pretty slowly and the leader will punch off, but it's such a long run down to turn number one. That the guy starting P3 can get that draft and make the move. And indeed, that's what Daniel Frost did. A big move down the inside for him as well. Rasmuth Lint tried the outside of Cal Kirkwood. Frost takes the lead down into turn one, down to turn three. And there was contact. I didn't see it actually, but contact between Kirkwood and I believe Rodriguez, his teammate. Kirkwood has to come to pit lane. I believe, I'm, I'm not sure if it was a wing or a tire. You'll be able to update that. He goes down a lap. That changes everything for Cal Kirkwood right there. Uh, the thing, maximizing opportunities, Daniel really had to do that for, for mm-hmm. race one, because, you know, he's had 
you know, he had the win at Lucas Oil Raceway, but he didn't have a good Road America. So it really, it was just a case of getting back on the horse. He started the season off very well. And really the, what was going through his mind was, you know, if I can make this move here, I can, you know, go away from the rest of the field. He, you know, exclusive has good cars. So he knew what he was, you know, what he had. Um, I didn't actually see the Kirkwood situation as well. Like the, uh, what would the end uh, difficulty was, but the biggest thing for me with Kirkwood situation was that, you know, he had a bit of a deficit to work from this weekend, him and Rodriguez. So one thing that I actually wrote for IndyCar.com that I just submitted yesterday, the car that Kirkwood was driving is actually the same car. I was told by the team uh, that Harrison Scott, had last year at toronto we all know what happened there <laughs> yes yeah so upside down in turn three that's that's right yes so really kirkwood i want to comment kirkwood because when he put that thing on pole for both races remember raul guzman who also ran for rp motorsport last year he had a wreck as well in the second race their setup yeah. notebook was about what two sheets of paper <laughs> true enough I never, I never did bring that up. You're right. Harrison was very quick in Toronto, but had that big incident. Ral breaking that car essentially in half at the contact, coming out of turn number eleven. You're right. They did. They probably didn't have a, a, a more, a, a fully complete notebook of the data coming into the weekend. Good call. And not, well, not only that, but you also look at Harrison Scott in the second race in Toronto. He had a, I thought it was like a suspension bolt that failed going to turn one. His race lasted all of what, three hundred meters. Yep, you're right. You're right. So really, what we should compliment Kirkwood for the you know the fact of the matter is that they didn't have a notebook coming into this weekend. Just like I said, a couple sheets of paper, I would guess at the most. And really, it was a fantastic job that he did getting that thing up as high as he did. But like I said, with Frost maximizing opportunities, he needed to do so at the start of this race. The start could be very chaotic, and really compliments to him for doing that. Agreed. Uh, Frost able to take the lead in D was not challenged for essentially for the remainder of the race. There were a couple of full course cautions, a hard impact coming out of turn uh, number 11 for uh, Moises Delavera actually got into the barrier on the inside, the, the concrete on the inside, on the left front, shot onto the right side and made hard impact with the outside retaining wall in turn 11 and skidded down the front straightaway. Uh, took a couple of laps for the, uh, the uh, AMR safety crew to get him cleaned up, but he did. Uh, and again, that there was some attrition to kind of move Kirkwood up a little bit. He ends up with an eighth place finish as uh, Philippe Dennis was out early. Nikita um, Lostoskin was out early as well. Stingray Rob out in lap 14, as was Charles Finelli. So he ends up in the eighth position. Um, but again, Frost able to go out into the lead, pressured throughout the race. Of course, it was a late race caution with about what, five laps to go. That's when uh, the 83 of Finelli uh, came to a stop coming in at 11. So Rasmus puts a lot of pressure on Daniel Frost over the last five laps, but still a half a second win for the driver from Singapore, as you had said, a winner at Lucas Oil Raceway in the Freedom 90. So a second road to Indy victory for Daniel Frost, helping to bring him up into the points, uh, still in championship contention. Rasmus Lint, the point leader coming in, has that cushion, you know, that, that ability to kind of be smart, and he did. Strong second place finish, stretches his point lead, uh, over Parker Thompson at that point. Parker, though, started the seventh spot, uh, got aggressive early, was able to work his way up a couple of positions. And, of course, with the Kirkwood issue and the Rodriguez, I believe, getting a drive-through penalty. or I think he had to start at the back on a restart for, for Rodriguez with that contact. Parker Thompson, a very valuable third-place finish. And then my star of the race, Antonio Valley from Markham, Ontario, nearby Toronto, just a, about a half an hour northwest running for Pacera Racing and a J. Howard Driver Development. His second year in the series, didn't do a full year last year, but 
in front of his you know family, the hometown crowd. Fourth place finish after starting ninth for Antonio Sarabali. Chris, he was on the move from the get-go and really, really was pushing hard to try to work his way onto the podium. I can't disagree with you on this one. Uh, he did a fantastic job. Of course, you know, we mentioned the Harrison Scott situation. He was the other driver mainly involved in that. So, you know, yeah, true. His, his, yeah. his, ta- his lap count at Toronto may not have been as high as he would have wanted. But, you know, if you pick it up quick, then, you know, you'll be fast no matter what. Servali did a great job. So, yeah, 100% agree with you on that. Good call. Yeah, I threw in there as well the fact his fast lap of 108.1 was really only two-tenths of a second off both Frost and Lint. So I thought, you know, I'm like, you know, that's that's impressive. He's turning better lap times. The kid's starting to get it. So uh, although he didn't have a good run, ended up going out early in race number two, wanting to back it up. But nonetheless, uh, a strong run uh, for Antonio Cerevalli, my star of the race for Indy Pro race number one. All right, jumping into race number two right now. Uh, Chris, kind of more of one of those – Easier runs. We had a, a, an early caution, as I said, as an issue on lap number two for Saravalli takes him out. From there, it's really a 27-lap dash to the end. Kyle Kirkwood just simply handled things in the number 28, getting that retribution after what happened yesterday. His third win in the last four races, Kyle Kirkwood definitely back in the championship hunt. Sounds like a vintage Kirkwood performance, really. Right? But, yep. you know. The other thing here we have to look at is that, you know, right behind him, you've got Parker Thompson and Rasmus Lind. Any mistakes, and they would have overtaken him, no problem. But, you know, Parker was fighting for a lot this weekend. Uh, he was running, he was doing double duty in a sense, running Indy Pro 2000, getting a third and a second, you know, two podiums. Great job for him. But he was also running the Porsche GT3 Cup Canada uh, races that weekend, too. So he had a lot of seat time. Um, so it was good to see him do so well. You know, he's trying to get another win on the streets of Toronto, his home race. You know, he had a lot to fight for. And really, I think this race kind of gave him a lot more confidence ahead of mid-Ohio, which is going to come up in a couple weeks here. But, you know, Rasmus and Parker have been Kyle's biggest competition this year. Um, however, I say that Daniel's only a couple of points behind him in the championship. So this is going to be a four-way fight for the title, I think, as we head to the later parts of the year. But as I, we mentioned earlier, mistakes are punished very highly in the road to Indy, especially in a championship like this. You know, one mistake from Lind, and you're going to see a lot of cars pass him, not only in the on the track, but potentially in the points, although he has a big gap right now back to Parker Thompson of 28 points. But, you know, Kirkwood did a fantastic job. You know, he he it was like a set of vintage performance from him. Uh, he handled his business and really is a great confidence booster for him, too. Yeah, you mentioned a third win in the last four races. Yeah, perfect for him. Perfect. Uh, interesting thing about Parker Thompson, you mentioned the fact that he was running in the uh, Porsche GT3 Cup, uh, the Canadian Cup program as well. And I talked to Parker afterwards. It was a, a pretty long lineup to try to get out of the parking garage when it was all said and done. Uh, but he said what, it's, it's probably the toughest weekend that he's ever ha- had to go through. And not simply because of the fact that he's, he was a bit tired from running four races and all those sessions, but he said it was more mentally tired. Because, you're, you know, you're, number one, you're adapting from going back and forth between the Indy Pro, which is, of course, light and nimble, and maybe the heavier, you know, the heavier and, and not quite as nimble Porsche GT3. But he said mental, the mental side was the fact he's going from one engineer, Tom Knapp, with the Indy Pro, and then another engineer with his Porsche. And, Chris, they both have – he said they both had such different setup and approach ideologies that he kind of had to change his entire mindset – change the land you know, you're, you're talking essentially speaking different languages one to the indie pro engineer one language because everybody has their own language 
to the Porsche, the Porsche engineer, which I thought was just really intriguing how he went back and forth. He said that not only was he physically exhausted, but just mentally drained as well from going back and forth between the cars and between the languages that he has with the engineers. You got to compartmentalize everything in your, if you're in the road, if you're going to run a lot more races, um, there's no substitute for seat time. So I compliment Parker for taking the time to run all the races that he did, but really I think that this kind of a weekend putting him underneath this kind of pressure is going to help him out for the future because, you know, you, a lot of drivers run multiple championships around the world. I mean, I think Parker isn't Parker also running like an Audi in Canada as well. He does run the Canadian touring car championship. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, all the seat time is the, the hard drive in his brain is getting more and more information. And I think that all that's going to help him out for later on this year because he realizes, you know, Hey, if I can do this on this corner with this car, how would that translate to this car over here? He's like, a, he has to be like a sponge at this whole thing. And I, I like what he's doing. So yeah, it could be, it can be difficult, but if he's able to adapt, you know, he shouldn't have any problems at all. I think he's going to do I, well. Yeah, I agree. So Kyle Kirkwood, guys, with the win, 1.7 seconds. As I said, his third win in the last four races coming off that sweep at Road America. Mid-Ohio is going to be very interesting. Uh, Parker Thompson, uh, his second podium in Indy Pro on the weekend, ends up getting by uh, Rasmuth Lint there mid-race to be able to go to second spot. Lint in third, Daniel Frost fourth, Stingray Robin fifth. As the top five starters all finished within the top five. The only position change was Thompson getting ahead of Lint. My star of the race, uh, you know, I go back a little further to Jacob Abel. And it's not like he was a fighter in the top five, but Jacob gets into an incident in the opening lap of the one and only practice session. Only five times on the racetrack for all of our road dandy drivers. One practice, two qualifying sessions, two races. So in the opening lap, Toronto is, is vicious. You have to respect her. Jacob gets out there, pushes a little too hard in the opening lap. On turn 11, gets into the wall hard as we saw Yuvan Sundaramurthy do as well in USF 2000. We'll talk about that uh, later in the, in the podcast here. So he, gets, so he loses the entire first session. As a rookie, not only in the, se- in the, in the series, but at the racetrack, he's never been to Toronto before, he's on the back foot already. They come out for qualifying number one, does a couple of sighting laps, brings it back in. As they're getting the car ready to roll back out, another driver who will na- remain nameless, Stands on the throttle, car rotates, and that car makes contact with the right rear of Jacob Abel's car, who's sitting in pit lane getting ready to go. Damages the left rear, right rear, he's done. Can't come back out. So he starts dead last in the opening race, does get the session on track. Uh, you know, Essentially, his first flying session is qualifying for race two, qualifies in 12th position, now, there is some attrition, but he ends up in seventh, stays out of trouble, has a fantastic run. His fast lap's just four-tenths of a second off that of Kyle Kirkwood. He ends up in the seventh position. Jacob Abel was put on the back foot early, missing those first two sessions. But the way he handled the last session of the weekend, a track that was, of course, changing all the time, different rubber going down. I was unbelievably impressed by Jake, by Jacob. P7, a good result for him, but I think even more, more impressive, only four-tenths off having missed so much track time. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you on that one. He did a great job. Um, I, 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 wow, that's 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 a hell of a start to the weekend. <laughs> right? I know it's crazy. It, just like you know, what what what's the other thing that can happen now? Like, I, yeah, like the little light, the little you know, thunder cloud just comes up. Like, okay, I'm going over Jacob Abel today. So, oh, and the funny, he actually did finish sixth 
in the, in the opening race from, from dead last, but again, a lot, a lot of attrition, you know, there was what seven, six or seven guys that were involved. Um, he was essentially not the last guy in the, on the lead lap to finish six, but a seventh, I think I was very impressed with what he was able to do. Of course, in race number two, just not enough seat time at all, but man, coming away with a couple of six, uh, six and a seventh car in good shape by the end of the weekend. You know, and, they'll be, and again, that's the able motorsports team, right? That Parker Thompson's working with their, their focus is building, that book of data, Chris, we've talked about, so that they, so that Jacob can come back next year and every race isn't brand new. It's not a new track. It's not a new setup. They're going to have that that level of information coming in that baseline next year, where, where Jacob's going to be one that can challenge for for race wins and top fives. Agreed. I uh, I was I think what was it Road America? He wasn't there because I think he was running for like F four F three. I think somewhere over yep. that weekend. F three. So yeah. you know he missed he missed a weekend of you know learning that car, learning the Indy Pro car, but he did. Uh, he does have a good teammate. He's going to be able to lurk at, and I think when you look at, you know, drivers that had to go through a lot of challenge to get better, this was a weekend where Jacob was going to be able to look back on and say, Hey, you know what? This weekend taught me a lot about not only racing, but about myself. And I think you're going to see a lot better things out of Jacob as we get later on to the rest of the year. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Chris. Um, let's look at the points here. Uh, based on the sheet I have, it's 30 points, the gap between first and second. You mentioned 28. I just printed it off the uh, off the website. 237 points for Rasmus Lint and 207 uh, for Parker Thompson. They essentially got almost exactly the same points. Uh, I think Rasmus actually with one additional point, so that he actually stretched the gap over Parker. It was Kirkwood, of course, coming back with, with a good finish there in race number two. He's back by uh, 32 points, 205 to, uh, to 237. Uh, Daniel Frost most definitely in the hunt as well. As you said, Parker Thompson, Kyle Kirkwood, and Daniel Frost all separated by just five points, second, third, and fourth. Again, Rasmus, Rasmus still has that, that nice 30-point uh, lead, essentially a full race lead. But as you said, Chris, you know one, you know one mistake, or even any weekend where you get caught up in a couple of incidents at each race, it just totally changes the complexion and the landscape of the of the point championship. One bad weekend can change everything. It can yeah. change mentality. It can change how your car works. It can change a lot of different things. You can't just rest on your laurels because you have enough of a cushion for one full race distance. You can't do it. So if Rasmus wants to win this championship, he, ha- he has to just, you know, keep pushing as hard as he can. So yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to see him take it easy the rest of the year. Two series down, one still to go. This is episode number 21 of the Road to Indy Insider, the breakdown of the Honda Indy Toronto. And joining me today, Krista Hardy for the motorsportstribune.com, also a regular contributor to IndyCar.com as well. Again, one of the young journalists uh, with so much passion for this sport. Uh, stay, what, uh, driving to the races, bunking in with other guys, maybe sleeping in the car if you have to, whatever it may be. But, Chris, I, I, uh, I respect your, your, uh, your passion for, for, the, for the craft. Thanks. I appreciate it. You know, one thing we had to look at is that, you know, being in Indianapolis that I'm able to go to a lot more races than I would have if I was back, um, back in New Orleans where I'm from. So yeah. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to just be up here right now. And, you know, I think we're going to see a few more, uh, you know, long drives coming up, but I'm not going to drive to Portland. I'm not going to drive to Laguna Seca. No, those are going to be flyaway races. So, yeah. <laughs> The, the, my, my car is going to be thankful for a rest, although it's not going to have that long of a rest because um, 
about what 36 hours from now as of this recording or 40 hours from this recording i'm going to be on the road again heading to iowa speed boy good man good man i will be looking forward to watching your coverage Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and and at the, of course, at the end of the podcast, folks, we'll uh, give Chris an opportunity to give you all his social media information, a way to follow him. Just another one of the great follows on social media. So you're able to get insider information at any one of the IndyCar or Road to Indy events. All right. Jumping now into the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship to cap off this edition of the Insider. Really, I thought a really interesting weekend for USF 2000. A couple of brand new winners. Let's start out with race number one. Uh, Christian Rasmussen qualifies on the pole for Jay Howard Driver Development. A solid run for for Darren Keane. Knows the racetrack, uh, and I think one of the keys for help to help kind of help Darren a little bit was that you know big incident that we had in the opening practice session. Yuvin Sunder Murthy gets into the wall coming out of turn number uh, eleven on the opening lap. Jack Crawford from Texas, the young fourteen year old, hammers into him coming through, nowhere to go. Long stoppage. I think we only got about five minutes of green flag running time in the open practice, opening practice. Similar in qualifying. It was a short and qualifying session because there was a number of drivers wrecking in that session as well. Darren Keene coming out. He and Rasmussen first and second. Rasmussen gets the jump at the green flag of the 20 lapper to start off USF 2000. Darren Keene hounding him big time. Lap number 10 makes the move. I believe it was in turn number three to take over the spot. And you know, it was just one of those times when you just knew that Darren Keene, who's been trying for a win here in USF 2000 for a couple of years, did a partial season in 2017, didn't quite do the full season last year, but this year with Cape Motorsports, uh, really good out of the box, had a chance to win a race, and probably could have qualified on the pole for both races at, at St. Petersburg had it not been for a transponder issue. This was his kind of breakout race. He goes by Christian Rasmussen to take the lead. But the interesting thing, Chris, and I'll bring this up real quickly, to watch once Darren got into the lead, you you could see how much he wanted it and how much the pressure was there because there was just these minor little errors everywhere. Overcooking turn number eight, you know, getting on the throttle a little too early and maybe too aggressive on steering input in turn number nine. Car got loose. Rasmussen closes back up. He would, it was really one of the, and I've been there before as a driver when you get the lead. He was kind of all over the place for a lap until he finally settled back in, was able to pull a bit of a gap. But you could just see, based on the maybe the frantic nature of his driving on that one lap, how badly he needed a win. Yeah, his confidence took a bit of a hit after St. Petersburg. Um, I mean, when, you, when you're leading the race late in the going and you, you spin it on the last corner of the last lap and you're getting ready to get your first win, that's damaging for a driver. It's like, oh, that, yep. that, that could have been mine. You know, and it's... I'm willing to bet he had quite a few sleepless nights, you know, thinking about that. But, you know, he had to kind of put all that behind him and be like, okay, focus. I mentioned Oliver, focus on the next, you know, breaking point, focus on the next turn and focus on the next apex. That's how you build better sectors. That's how you build better laps. And, you know, you have to, when you put all that behind you, you can, you know, find out who you are as a driver. And I think Darren found out who he was as a driver. Uh, when he's able to put all that behind him, he's able to show that, Hey, you know what? I am a winner. I am a, championship contender my teammate isn't the only good driver for cape motorsports here so you know he he had a he you know he had the what was it the flashbacks i can get i can almost bet <laughs> we're seeing christian right behind him like oh no yep here you're we right. go Ex- again exactly because that was exactly what happened in race number two at st petersburg it was it was darren key leading christian rasmussen putting the pressure from behind and as you said darren kind of just rolled too much speed and got the trail break, I think, probably into the final corner at St. Pete and looped it around, and he and Rasmussen off the racetrack, and Braden Eves cruises through for the win, and 
how that, you know, if that hadn't happened, how would have that changed potentially the storyline that we've had for the first half of the season? But, you know, let's give props to Darren and really working on focusing not on a championship, but on just on doing, on, on putting in good races to get good points. That was his focus throughout the first half. I'm going to put that thing behind me. I'm just going to focus on good results. And he got those. He got some, you know, some podium finishes. Of course, working with his coach, Oswaldo Negri. They've got such a great relationship. The team getting behind him. Uh, Darren Keene able to, to, to settle things down. And then we have a yellow. <laughs> and then we have a late yellow on lap 17 to 20. Cameron Shields gets into the wall coming out of turn number eight. We go full course yellow. I was almost certain, based on the incident, that, that was it. It was going to be full course yellow to the end. Nope. The AMR safety crew and the CAA team get the track cleared. We go back for one more lap. Maybe deja vu all over again from St. Petersburg, but no. Darren Keene has grown so much as a driver from St. Petersburg to now. Put his head down, put in a magic lap, and he ends up with his first win. And again, Chris, you mentioned it. That's the kind of thing that really turns around a driver's mental aspect or mental focus. And just you get the monkey out the back. The pressure to get that first win is gone. Now there's pressure to get the next one. But that first win always changes everything. Especially when you're driving for a team like the Capes. Um, but, Good you know, point. He had, to, he had to fight off Christian Rasmussen there. Rasmussen wasn't going to let him go. Uh, Rasmussen was fighting for his own first win. Um, J. Howard Driver Development, a new team in USF 2000, they were fighting for their first win. You know, you had a lot of people fighting for their first. Um, and the first is always, you know, in my opinion, anyway, the hardest to get. Agreed. Um, <laughs> no doubt. So, so you had a lot of a lot of people fighting, you know, hard. And I, I, as much as I love sports, the one cliche that I hate is that they wanted it more. No, no, no. They all want it bad. They all want it more than the others. It's just a case of, you know, whether or not you are more competitive on that day than your rival is. So, you know, I like what. Darren was able to do. I like being able to him being able to hold off Christian there. He did a great job and ultimately said, "Hey, I've got this. This is my yeah. race. No one's taking this away from me unless I make a mistake." And really, that's what he told Christian going through turn three there on the last lap. Said, "Hey, you're not getting this from me. This is my race. I've that's got it. it." Yeah, you're right. Really, really took hold of the situation, Chris. I really like that analogy. Uh, good battle for third, fourth, and fifth. Not even that far back from the leaders either. Uh, Hunter McElroy was right there. He ends up finishing in the third spot for Paps. Braden Eves, the point leader coming in for Cape Motorsports. Uh, fourth place finish allows Hunter uh, and Christian and Darren to close up on some points. But remember, Eves came in with five race wins already on the season. So a pretty solid little uh, championship advantage for Braden. P4, still a good finish for him, although Keen clawing back some points. My star of the race actually comes home in the fifth position. Zach Holden had an issue uh, early, qualified 12th. He, brand new team. Well, brand, he's with the new team with Legacy Autosport for the first time. A late call up for him to be able to come and run uh, with uh, Mike Meyer and the crew. Didn't get a chance at all to test with the team. So it's all about, you know, you know gelling with the team early. Did have that trouble. I believe it was in qualifying too. Uh, Holden starts 12th, runs up into the fifth position. I thought that was a really tremendous run for Zach again, a driver making his debut at Toronto with a brand-new team, having had an issue in qualifying, to come back after the team repairs the car and puts in a fantastic effort moving to fifth. Being able to pass cars, that's the one of the biggest things yeah. you have to do as a driver is pass cars. I mean, unless you're you know, Kyle Kirk when you're running up front all the time. Um, 
being able to pass cars is like one of the most critical things about being a race car driver. And Zach Holden showed everybody, hey, you know what? I can, I can pass these cars. I can, I can have bad qualifying and, and still finish up near the front. So it was a good, good confidence booster for Zach. I know it's not easy just coming in for you know a team for a one-off just for one race weekend, especially when you look at you know who Legacy Autosport has had in the car this you know all throughout this year. It's not easy, but then again, no. racing isn't supposed to be easy. And I think, uh, you know, Zach kind of showed everybody, hey, you know, don't overlook me here. So, yeah, definitely a good call on that one. We'll see if Zach ends up coming back with the team for Mid-Ohio. No confirmation on that yet, but again, a great run for, as I said, for Zach Holden, my star of the race for race number one for Legacy Autosport. All right, uh, Chris, let's jump into uh, race number two. Three different full-course yellows, an issue for Eduardo Barrichello early. Uh, his teammate, uh, Jack Miller, had some trouble in turn number five as well. And then we did have contact in turn number one. That'll be something we talk about a little later, back on lap number 23. Uh, overall, Darren Keene this time on the pole position and Christian Rasmussen uh, getting that draft. We talked about it uh, in Indy Lights as well. Um, and in an Indy Pro with Daniel Frost going by Cal Kirkwood. Rasmussen able to make a good move to the inside of turn one. He takes the lead early. Darren does exactly what you're supposed to do. You tuck back in behind him. Big run down to turn three. But Kaminsky had a good run around the outside, and he's able to essentially pull alongside Darren as they come into turn number three, takes over the spot. So the early top three was Rasmussen and then Kaminsky and then Darren Keane. Keane eventually able to get by Kaminsky for P number two. So first and second, Rasmussen, Kaminsky, they've got their positions. Then, like essentially, Chris, I would say that the primary focus in the storyline is on third, fourth, fifth, sixth on back because Kaminsky's got the spot. Easily not the quickest driver, though, in the top five. Braden Eves putting a ton of pressure on. Uh, Matt Roundgarito gets in there to kind of put his name in the fight as well. Hunter McElroy was in there for a time. Uh, it, was, uh, it was some pretty aggressive racing. What do you think about that? Ron Garrido, I think, is an interesting character. You know, he just went over to BN Racing after uh, the start of the year with Jay Howard Driver Development. You know, they had one top 10 finish earlier in the year, and he's like, well, let me make a change here. So he went to, I think it was to BN Racing is where he went to. And, yeah. um, you know, a couple of top 10s, great. Where can we go from here? All of a sudden, now he's looking at, you know, running in the top five, and it's like, oh, Wow. This is what the yep. front of the field looks like. This is amazing. So we've seen this though, Chris. Right though, we've seen the, the rookie drivers always. Toronto, Mid Ohio is where those rookies who finally get a feel of the car and the team. Even though the rookies, they really start to come on midway through the season. Yeah, this was definitely the race where you know we got to see you know, how good Matt Rangarito can be. Uh, you know, he had some struggles earlier this year. Lucasola raced away. He wasn't uh, he wasn't everybody's friend, uh, to put it mildly. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it was great to see, you know, some newer faces get out there near the front of the field. And, you know, obviously we had some uh, some bad luck for some championship contenders. But, I mean, it does make the championship, you know, the championship hunt that much closer as we head to the later part of the year. So let's talk about the kind of uh, climax of this race as the battle. Of course, Eve's starting to get maybe a little impatient. Again, running in the fourth position, as he had done on Saturday, realizes that Rasmussen and, and Keane, his teammate up in front of him, potentially getting more points from him again. He makes an aggressive move on lap to, to start on lap 23, makes a move to go down the inside um, in turn one. Uh, they're side-by-side side coming through. The way the cameras kind of went back and forth, really hard for us to be able to see, but there was contact. 
Kaminsky ends up going off into the, the tire barriers. He's able to pull back out and continue on, so the contact wasn't that hard. But there is contact, and in talking to Braden afterwards, he goes down to, to turn number three, locks it up. I think locked the left front up hard, kind of went off there, uh, a puncture in, the, in, in one of the tires. He has to come into pit lane. Kate Motorsports crew goes to work as quickly as they possibly can. They get him back on track, still on the lead lap. Um, and I, what I, I think it was, he was probably about the 11th, the 12th, 11th to 12th position. Full course yellow, of course, with Kaminsky in the wall. So stack everybody back up. Rasmussen, Keane, um, you know, Round Garrido, Suleiman, Crawford all in that fight as well. And away we go. Um, and another one of our one lap dashes because I, I didn't think again that we were going to go back. To, we were going to go back uh, to green, but we did a one lap dash. Rasmussen able to hold off Darren Keane, but as you said, Matt Ryan Garrido ends up coming out with a very impressive third place finish, first time on the podium for the English driver. Can't be impatient on a street circuit. It's just, um, I mean, yeah. there's there's a time and a place for it, and if you get it wrong, it's going to go really wrong. And in this case, it went really, really wrong for Braden Hughes. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, well, the biggest thing, though, is that we're looking at Rasmussen and Keane on the podium again. New face, Maron Garrido up there. You know, Memo Suleiman, he had a couple of uh, issues, you know, second race at Road America, first race at Toronto, not doing so well. You know, he got fourth. And then, you know, Jack Crawford in fifth. Seeing newer drivers come to the fold here, will the second half of the championship be a complete flip of the first half. That's where we, we're going to see some uh, good things coming on for the rest of the year. But let's face it, Rasmussen, he had the uh, the the issue at St. Pete with Darren. You know, he's trying to get his first win. Didn't do it to, you know, in the first race. Now it was his turn to say, kid, you're not taking this one from me. That's right. This is my time. This is, this yeah. is my opportunity. And, you know, seeing Jay Howard afterwards being so happy, it was really great to see you know, an Indianapolis 500 competitor, you know, going down to the road to Indy, getting a team started up and getting another win, especially on a street circuit like this, which is very, very challenging. Yeah, I remember back in the day when uh, when Jay Howard first came over, and I believe it was Aiken Racing he ran for. It was the Cooper Tire Z-Tech F2000 Championship. And I was announcing for that program. And I remember Jay, when he first came over, a lot, it was a lot of fun watching Jay. Very talented driver. Won a bunch of races. Uh, but, yeah, I feel the same way. Great for Jay to get that first win for his team in USF 2000. Rasmussen winning over Darren Keene and Matt Round Garrido. You said Manuel Suleiman in fourth spot. Jack Crawford, P5. Uh, six was Cameron Shields. Seven, Bruno Tomaselli. Good run for Bruno. Her and Juven soon removed the up into seventh and eighth. Reese Gold and Nolan Siegel are two 14-year-olds, two of the three 14-year-olds in uh, ninth and tenth. But it was the 14-year-old Jack Crawford, Chris, who's my star of the race for race number two. Uh, again, very similar to Jacob Abel. No laps at all in the opening session, right? Because he gets in that big wreck on the first lap with Yuvin Sundar Murthy in practice on Friday. They get the car. They have to work all day to get the car repaired because it was a significant wreck. His, he had injured his right foot. He sprained his right foot a bit in the incident. They get him back out for one sighting lap at the end of qualifying one. So he starts dead last in race number one. And in that race, ends up finishing 12th. Comes back out for qualifying. Qualifies essentially 13th in only his second on-track session, right? Actually, no, it was, his qualifying for race two was his first on-track session, which is impressive. First time on the racetrack, qualifies 13th. He gets his two races, drives from 13th uh, all the way up into fifth position. Jack, his lap times were right there, uh, and, and, you know, a little bit off still, but still solid. 
but in the fight there at the very end, I thought Jack did a great job, and he's my star of the race for race two. I, I agree with you, and thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> right? Four t- Listen, dude, I'm am I four? Am I, I'm almost four times his age. Three, easily three times his age. Let's put it that way. Um, I will say this because you brought up Matt Rangarito. That was my toss-up. You know, Jack Crawford is he the star of the race, or was it Matt Rangarito? Started ninth, ends up third. Really, as you said. And I'll give him the honorable mention, the breakout race, I think, for Matt Rangarito and BN Racing. This will be the confidence booster he needs moving to Mid-Ohio track. I think he'll be good at Agreed. Mid-Ohio is an old-school track, like yeah. the ones he's used to competing at over in the U.K. So I think we're going to see some good things out of him the rest of the year. So Braden Eves with a fourth in round number one, a 11th in round number two. Two following from falling from uh, from 19 points down to 10 points, so lost nine points there. Hunter McElroy still a ways back. The gap, I think, 40 what 41 points, I think, or 42 points, or 41 points. McElroy behind a lot. Uh, yeah, it's still a lot. Darren Key with a really really good weekend, still back by 53 points. But again, you know, chink in the armor for Braden Eves, a little impatient in that one race. He's got experience at, at Mid Ohio. Uh, he actually ran last year as well at Portland with Newman Walks Racing. Darren Keene did not, so there's a bit. Neither did, of course, Andre Macaray. So potentially some advantage for for Eves when they get there. This championship's definitely not over, but Eves still with a pretty solid point position. Eves, Macaray, Keene, Kaminsky, Rasmussen jumping to P5 in the points with a couple of really good finishes. Second in day one at Toronto and a race win, of course, in day number two. Chris Hart, uh, the Hardy, there you go. There's our breakdown of the events in toronto let's talk about final thoughts overall what do you think about that event uh, love toronto love the city um didn't like the humidity as much uh that was a little too hot but i mean <laughs> let's face it, it it was it was a great event uh we saw a lot of good battles there for the cha- for the various championships that we saw um of course we saw some interesting stuff happen in the indycar race on sunday um but really i think <laughs> I think we had a really, really, really good weekend. Uh, you know, nothing really too controversial, in my opinion, anyway. Um, and then I, I think we should, if, if we're going to end this thing right right here, I think we should uh, go on a very, very high note. How great was it to see Robert Wickens back at the track and driving? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. It was amazing. And again, to see the smile on his face and getting out there. I I talked to, to Robbie a little bit earlier about, you know, testing up at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. They drove on the driver development track that they have there. And they had, as any competitor is, I asked him how it was. It was good. But he was you know, already talking about how they want to change his the steering wheel that he's using, right? Because it's it's a it's a stock steering wheel that they were able to get from somebody. Arrow, you know, they, they weren't able to do a lot of adjustment to it. And there's some things he wants to change already, which uh, I love it. It means that he's going to be in that car more and more and more. It's going to keep him racing, going to keep him focused. Uh, you know, I think if you saw on social media today, Robbie going back into surgery mm-hmm. actually today to remove uh, a lot of the, I think probably the braces and some of the equipment they've got in the leg. Um, so again, our thoughts and prayers, of course, with Robbie and, and Carly. Just want to get him back at the track again. He keeps, you know, he keeps getting better and better with his with his uh, rehabilitation and his work. It's just he's such an inspiration, man. I've known the kid since he was 12 years old, and. Uh, and he was an inspiration back then, and I love the commitment he has right now. If I may say also, um, you know, motorsports is all about resiliency and how you uh, come back from uh, difficulties. Yes, the week yes. the week before um, 
the Toronto race. We had the IMSA race over at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. And Yukos Racing had a, a massive shunt there with Victor Franzoni and the Cadillac DPI that they run. You know, I, I heard yesterday, uh, you know, reading online that they're going to be building up a new tub for that car. You think about that. You think about the fact that they had a couple of incidents in Indy Pro 2000 that weekend. I'm just wondering, you know, how Ricardo Junkos does it. And then I see, you know, how well Renus did in the, you know, this weekend in the first race, and it made me realize, you know what, there's uh, there's some good things coming Ricardo Yunkos' way, I think. So, you know, good for him. Looking forward to seeing what he's going to do coming up the rest of the year. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing what Yunkos is going to do the rest of the year. Yeah, well, let's just be real. They won the Indy Pro 2000 Championship last year, and they are lined up to challenge for the championship of both Indy Lights with, with Renus and, again, with Rasmuth and Stingray Rob in, uh, in Indy Pro 2000. There's some more championships, some more trophies to go. Uh, potentially into the uh, the trophy case at the Hunkos Racing Shop in Speedway, Indiana. One thing I would hope for for next year is they, they take the in-car cameras and the video that we have of the incidents that we had in the opening practice in USF 2000 and the opening practice in Indy Pro. We sit down every rookie driver next year and say, listen, we know you've been doing the simulator for Toronto. The simulator's not exactly the same as the track. So for the first four or five laps of practice on Friday morning, First thing you do is try to equate the reality of your simulator running to the actual reality of racing on the racetrack. That's one of the things I heard from a number of drivers. The simulator they used, turn 10 and at least turn 11, was flat out in the simulator. It was not flat out at the track here this year in Toronto. A couple minor changes, and that's why we probably had some incidents there. Oh, and by the way, if you make a mistake, here's what it'll cost you. <laughs> yeah, right? Everything. All right, Krista Hardy, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. I really appreciate taking the time. I know you had to drive back from Toronto on on uh, on Monday. You're going to work this afternoon. You're heading to uh, Iowa on Thursday. Uh, I do really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, of course. And, um, well, you look at uh, where I was driving. I didn't actually drive home immediately on Monday. Uh, we actually uh, went, myself and Matt Weaver, we actually went to Anderson, Indiana, because they had the super late model race at Ander- yes. the Redbud 400 there. I love it. That's so, awesome. So we did that, and then uh, we went back home, and he flew back to Mobile, Alabama for a little bit. But, yeah, it's going to be me, him, and Joey Barnes over at uh, Iowa Speedway. I just wish we could get the road to Indy back there. It was, um, It's a lot of fun to see the challenge that they uh, those cars take around Iowa Speedway. But, you know, say la vie. It is well, what it is. I'll tell you this, Chris. It, it, it didn't leave because uh, of us not wanting – the series not wanting to be there. And everything yeah. I'm told, obviously, there was just so many opportunities of where to go. You know, Cody gets brought into the program, and – It'd be great to be at Coda with Indy Lights. Same goes for the finale, of course, being at uh, WeatherTech Laguna Seca. Man, okay, let's do that. And you know, you, you can't just add another weekend to the Indy Lights because you just you're throwing another hundred thousand dollars or whatever it may be into a budget. So with everybody wanting tighter budgets, something had to give, and Iowa was it. Now I would not be surprised to see. Uh, Indy Lights back on the Iowa date someday soon. I love that racetrack for Indy Lights as well. I think it's a really good opportunity. And remember, right, we're down to just two oval events for Indy Lights. I'm sure that they'd love to see it get back to three again because the progression is, of course, one oval race for USF 2000, two for Indy Pro, and ideally two for Indy Lights. They're only running the Freedom 100 and Gateway this year. So hopefully we'll get back to Iowa sooner or later. Agreed. Chris, give us your uh, give us all your information People want to follow you. It's motorsportstribute.com. No www dot in the front. Just motorsportstribute.com. Of course, we, we love seeing your stuff on Indy, IndyCar.com as well. They want to follow you on social media. How do they follow the esteemed Chris DeHart? 
Esteemed. Wow. I, yeah, I, that's, right? that's, that's, that's a fancy word. Uh, so <laughs> uh, Twitter, it's at C to Hardy, C-D-E-H-A-R-D-E. Uh, that's also the same for uh, Instagram as well. I, I did start a YouTube channel uh, back in January, but I hadn't had a lot of time to uh, do a lot of content because uh, well, before I went to Toronto, I was actually working two jobs trying to get some more travel budget together. So, you know, it hasn't always been easy, but no, if you're, I'm, I usually go to do a lot of track walks, so you'll see some cool track walk videos there as well. Nice. So we're going to see some good stuff coming later on this year. Um, but yeah, C to Hardy is my Twitter handle. Feel free to give it a follow. And uh, yeah. Rob, you're you're what? Rob Howden and uh, Road Indy Insider, correct? Pretty much. What's what's the YouTube channel uh, called, Chris? It's just Christopher DeHardy, my name. I don't have okay. enough subscribers to have a custom URL, so it's just you know, just search my name on YouTube and you'll find it. Well, let's see if we can't get you some uh, some subscribers for there for sure, and uh, we'll we'll pop that up. Sweet, Chris. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Of course, anytime, man. Anytime. Folks, this has been episode number 21 of the Road to Indy Insider, my breakdown podcast for the Honda Indy Toronto. And uh, it was awesome to have Krista Hardy joining us, uh, providing us with some great insight, a lot, of, a lot of really good content and information and thoughts from Chris. Folks, we thank you so much for joining us next week. I'm, on, I'm actually on the road this weekend. I'm heading to Amarillo, Texas for the second round of the Texas Pro Kart Challenge event, a, a karting event on a track in Amarillo, Texas, a scaled down version of the F1 circuit in Istanbul, Turkey. It's going to be fantastic. I'm actually going to get a chance to do some racing. Home for a day and a half, straight to mid-Ohio. In those couple of days I'm home, I'm going to try to knock out another one of my interviews. Hopefully we'll get one of our drivers uh, who has had some success over the past couple of weeks. And again, we'll have more content here on the Road to Indy Insider Podcast. On behalf of Krista Hardy, my name's Rob Howden. Bye for now.